Welcome back, everyone, to the Dairy Science Digest, a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell from the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and each month I feature fresh new research, articles that are in press waiting to go to print. For our February edition of the podcast, Dr. Mann joins us from Cornell University College of Vet Med to discuss her article currently in press in the Journal of Dairy Science titled, The Symposium Review, The Role of Adipocyte Tissue on Transition Dairy Cows, Current Knowledge and Future Opportunities. And this was presented at the Journal of Dairy Science meetings last July. Doc, before we get going, could you please tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm an assistant professor here at Cornell University, as you said, in the College of Veterinary Medicine. I split my time between research and teaching. And when I teach, I go to farms and I take senior veterinary students with me and teach them everything that they need to know and how to treat farm animals. Very good. Okay. And so this will be the very first symposium review that we've featured on the podcast. Could you tell us a little bit, what, what is a symposium review? Tell us about this article. Sure. Uh, symposium review is a paper that stems from a presentation at the annual American Dairy Science Association meeting, the ADSA meeting that happens every year, where researchers share the newest science and discuss it with their colleagues. And in these symposia, we really put together the overview of the current literature, our own research, and we also give an outlook on what we should be focusing on in the future. And these symposium reviews are then published so that the reader can look into this after the meeting has finished, and it represents everything that has been discussed in the symposium. For those of you that haven't been able to go to ADSA, it is just a a big group of folks that love dairy cows and advancing our industry. And it's really an amazing experience. And this, this article, it coalesces uh, review of literature. So she, she has summarized countless articles in this one paper. And so we're going to have a very deep dive into fat metabolism for dairy cows. Is it appropriate to, to just call it fat? May I do that? Uh, You may call it fat. Uh, I think that's perfectly fine. We refer to it generally as adipose tissue for several reasons. We want to reflect that it's not just fat, but there's also a structure to it that holds these cells together whose job is to store fat inside of them. There's also blood vessels that go through it that will transport fat into the tissue and take it out of the tissue. And there's also immune cells and other cells in there that make this really like an organ. And so when we refer to it as adipose tissue, we just give it a little bit more credit than just calling it fat. But you're right, it's mostly fat. We know, we know those early lactation cows tend to metabolize more fat as, as fuel. Could you speak a little bit about um, how do we measure that? What's a typical measurement of, of fat metabolism in dairy cattle? Yeah, sure. So the adipose tissue stores fat in the form of long chains of carbon atoms. We all don't want to be reminded of our biochemistry in school, but essentially there's several chains that are held together by a structure. And so when the dairy cow needs energy in early lactation, or even around the time of calving already, the body senses that and starts to break down the fat molecules and releases what we call fatty acids. Sometimes we refer to them as non-esterified fatty acids, short NIFA, to signify that these are circulating 
uh, chains of fatty acids that are not being bound together in the form of a, a fat molecule as it would be stored in a cell. So these NIFA are circulating in the blood, meaning that we can find them when we take a blood sample from these cows. We usually measure these in the lab, and currently there is not a great way of measuring them cow-side. So we usually have to take a sample, we have to spin it down, and we have to apply a laboratory test to really determine the concentration of these NIFA. And these typically go up as we see lipolysis or you know, uh, mobilization of adipose tissue increasing. And that's typically around the time of calving and in the first two to three weeks after um, parturition or after the cow gives birth, when she needs the most energy, really. That's actually an incredible description of what's happening as they use this organ, so to speak, to produce the energy that they need. And again, and NIFAs are, are really the topic of many of the articles that you were highlighting throughout the, the paper as a, as a tool to assess the status of the energy reserve for that cow. Um, there were a couple different things that I found really interesting going through the paper. In addition to NIFA, cowside in the barn, boots on the ground. Another tool that many dairy producers often use is the body condition score. Could you speak a little bit about body condition score and, and what some of the literature reviewed discuss on correlating that to the movement of NIFA in, in the cow? Yeah, so body condition scoring is something that we all probably have done a lot of in our lives. And it is essentially looking at the contours of the cow, also palpating or, or feeling the fat stores that we can find underneath the skin of a cow, and then judging how fat this cow really is. And we, sc we score these uh, on a scale from one to five, and we would like the cows to be around three, 3.25 out of a five point scale. That means they're not underweight, but they're also not overweight. Um, so there is enough fat, but not too much. We know that if the cows are too fat, that they have a tendency to break that fat down faster after calving, meaning that they will have more of these NIFA circulating in their blood, and that overwhelms the liver sometimes. So there is a greater risk for cows to be suffering from fatty liver disease postpartum, also disease that most of us are aware of. And we really need the liver to be able to do its job after calving, because that is the organ that will make the glucose, the sugar, that will then make lactose, that will then determine milk production. And the liver, of course, has, has other very important functions. So we really want that organ to be healthy. And so that fatty liver disease is, is so tragic, and we've seen it on farm likely, listeners likely have. Um, a couple different articles that you had quoted that I wanted to highlight. I'm going to just read it straight out of the paper. Cows dried off at an undesirably high body condition score of over four, and then subsequently lost three quarters of a point, so 0.75 body condition score. They had an increased uterine disease postpartum and reduced likelihood of pregnancy. And so additionally, there was another paper published in 2015 talking about those, those fat cows, greater than four at dry off. They had two times greater incidence of postpartum ketosis, right? Yes. They had um, a, two times as likely to get ketosis and eight times greater odds to be clinical with that than those cows that, that are around that three. And so that dry off period and looking at the body condition score is so critically important. 
So we know that fat transition cows fail through lactation. Can you describe the specific data that you found in the literature that explains why do these, why do these fat cows, as they transition, why do they, why do they fail? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are many reasons. These fat cows have a greater risk for suffering from clinical ketosis, from fatty liver, from developing a displaced abomasum or DA, and they're also having lower intakes. And when we have cows freshening, all we want them to do is eat well. We know that increasing intakes in our fresh cows is one of the best recipes for success. However, these cows that are freshening and too fat drop more in their intakes than cows that are transitioning in an ideal body condition. So the low intakes are certainly part of why we're seeing all of these bad outcomes associated with the overly fat cows when they calve into their next lactation. Very good. Can, can we rewind a little bit and talk more on the NEFAs or non-esterified fatty acids and really zoom in a little bit on, on reproduction? Another article that you referenced, Kardashian in 2013, talked about overfeeding energy in that close-up period associated to a 10-day increase in time that it took to get her pregnant. She's such a complicated beast, and we know system-wide that one action that we have has a subsequent reaction. Could you talk a little bit about how the energy that occurs early lactation, how does that impact reproduction 60 to 90 to 100 days later? When we are putting together our repro program on farms, we are wanting cows to get pregnant right after our voluntary waiting period. And that's, you know, for most producers, we're trying to get these cows pregnant around 70 to 80, maybe 85 um, days after calving. The follicles, so the eggs that we're breeding off of at this time have grown in the cow for the last 90 to 100 days. And so we're really breeding off of the situation, the metabolic situation that this cow was in right around the time of calving. And so if we have cows and negative energy balance, breaking down a lot of fat, that is associated with poorer quality of reproductive success because we are actually looking back in time to this particular uh, situation that these cows were in around the time of calving. And there's different things that have an effect here. The intake, also the general energy balance that these cows have in a sense of the circulating concentrations of several hormones which are positive in their effect on reproductive success later on. And these are higher in cows that are not in severe negative energy balance, but are transitioning relatively well into lactation. Another thing that happens with these NEFA is that they, they are detrimental to the immune system. That causes a bigger risk of endometritis. So that's something that they probably are aware of. That's a disease you know, that we diagnose three or so weeks after calving. And that, again, then has a negative impact on the ability to get a cow pregnant. So I think what's so fascinating about the transition dairy cow is, is that all of these interactions are related. And what's amazing is when you can get when you can get them all lined up, everything works beautifully. If you have a broken system, the wheels just fly off. Right. Could you talk a little bit about how NIFA's circulating through the blood and how that might impact the immune system of the cow. Yeah, so I, I explained how NIFA can lead the liver to struggle with, with this overload of fatty acids that are going into the liver. 
But NIFA also have a potential detrimental effect on the immune system of the cow. And we also know that when they're circulating in high concentrations, they can create inflammation that is directly affecting the health of the tissues. Now, all of these effects can lead to the uterus, for example, which is relying on the immune system to clean itself and prepare itself for the next pregnancy after a birth. So essentially, the uterus postpartum needs the immune system to help it prepare for the next pregnancy. That requires the renewal of the tissue inside of the uterus and to have that uterus be free of inflammation and to clear the immune cells out of there that are going in there in, in large numbers right after parturition to help with this renewal process. If that's not successful, we have a situation called endometritis. And we know that cows that are having high circulating concentrations of NIFA or these fatty acids in the blood are more prone to having endometritis in their lactation. So these cows that are breaking down a lot of fat are less able to clear the uterus, prepare it for the next pregnancy. And when we have the situation of endometritis, we know that we're taking longer or the cow will take longer to be bred for the next um, cycle. And, and so here we see that we've got NIFAs working against us on damaging the follicle. We've got NIFAs working against us by uh, causing this inflammation or endometriosis that damages the uterus. So we can't have a, a healthy pregnancy generated in that home. These NIFAs also challenge, challenge her immune system just generally as far as being able to be successful and healthy. We've got circulating ketones that challenge the cow also. Wow. So here we've been talking a lot about disliking NIFAs and, and, and the, the damning qualities of adipocyte tissue, but is, are there good benefits to this adipocyte tissue in lactating dairy cattle? Absolutely. Um, sometimes I think we forget that adipose tissue of fat is really there as an energy storage organ and is the best way or the most condensed way for an animal to have energy stored for times when they need a lot of it. And the postpartum period, the fresh period, is really a time when the cow needs a lot of energy fast. And so the adipose tissue is there for that to mobilize and to deliver these energy precursors or you know, molecules that provide energy to the body in a very uh, condensed and rapidly available form. So from this broken down fat, the cow can make more milk fat. So some of this will be directly transported to the mammary gland and will serve as milk fat. But the fatty acids can also go into the liver, as I explained before, and they get broken down into smaller molecules and are used to produce energy precursors. And why do we need so much energy in the cow? Well, the cow needs to make a lot of glucose. This sugar that she makes, which is a very energetically costly process, is absolutely necessary to make lactose, milk sugar. And as we all know, milk sugar is what drives milk production. So without the sugar that the cow is making in the liver and without all the energy she needs for that, there will be very little milk production. Therefore, we think that the fat is really important in this period. However, as we explained before, when they break down too much of this, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing as well, right? Then we have the risk of animals getting sick. 
In your in your review of literature, um, you quoted a 1980s paper talking about the the energy deficit of that early lactation cow um, mobilizing 50 kilograms, so like 100 pounds of pure lipid as an energy source to support lactation. And so, really, this put your thumb on the idea of milking the fat off their backs. And I thought it was really intriguing that there's this correlation between the mammary's uptake of energy to the amount of fat that's available. And that relationship with the mammary gland and the system of the animal providing energy resources. She's just such an amazing beast. Yeah, cows are amazing. They do a lot of things that, you know, we would equate to athletes, right? On their metabolism side, they don't run that fast most of the time, at least we hope they don't when they come towards us. But on the metabolic side, they are real athletes. They can get a lot of energy moved through their body and being, you know, put out in their milk. And just managing them in this optimum body condition score to to encourage them to utilize that that tool that they have. We can be more effective managers of, of the herd. I want to ask another question about fat supplementation in early lactation. You mentioned uh, the dry matter intake of that early lactation cow is is relatively low. She just doesn't, she might not have a drive to eat as much as she actually needs. Could you talk about some different tools that we can use in that fresh cow ration? Yeah. So fat supplementation and early lactation has been receiving more attention. And one of the labs that is really looking into the differences, not just in the amount of rumen protected fat that we're feeding, but also in the profile of these individual fatty acids in the fat supplements is Dr. Adam Locke's lab at MSU. And in one of their recent papers or one of their recent studies, they described the differences when they were feeding a supplement that was higher in a fatty acid called oleic acid. When this fatty acid was fed, they saw a increase in their circulating concentrations of insulin in these cows and dry matter intake, despite an increase in milk energy output. So they had benefits from feeding this oleic acid supplement or the supplement that's higher in oleic acids. And they also saw that these cows broke down less fat. So they had a lower decrease in body condition score in early lactation, which is also something that we look for and that is beneficial for early lactation cows. And certainly work with your nutritionist uh, folks as you're, as you're trying to design that, that fresh cow ration. There's, there's lots of nuances to feeding the fresh cow and hopefully helping minimize the effect of, of NIFAs in your herd. We've talked about a lot here. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask every person that I interview is, you know, what one recommended take home that the boots on the ground dairy producers could take away from all of this literature that you've summarized for us? Yeah, so I think one of the things to take away from this is really to remind ourselves that fat stores or adipose tissue is a good thing. When we don't have enough of it, it is detrimental to the health and productivity of the cow. And when we have too much of it, it is also detrimental to the health and productivity of our cows. So we want to be somewhere right in the optimum. And body condition scoring can help us with that. Something we have to realize is that cows can have quite a bit of fat inside of their bellies, or we call it visceral fat. And they don't necessarily show the same amount of fat under their skin, which we call subcutaneous fat. So a cow might be more fat on the inside than you would think. And they can accrete or grow a lot of this fat in the dry period when they're on a high energy diet. 
Therefore, again, as we discussed before, we would recommend that cows in a dry period are fed a controlled energy diet that provides them sufficient energy, but not in excess of what they need. You have an amazing visual summary of on-farm opportunities that influence transition cows' adipocyte tissue mass and the rate of lipolysis. Could you summarize for the listeners here, what are those main buckets of understanding for on-farm opportunities? I've tried to put together kind of the main buckets of action. So what are the, the big ideas that people can use to look at this problem? So the three big buckets, diet formulation, management of the cows, and optimizing feed intake. So for diet formulation, again, I'm going to repeat it again because it is important, is the principle of feeding dry period diets that are controlled in energy density. But also in the postpartum period, we want to make sure that there is sufficient fermentable carbohydrate so that we can deliver this energy and this, these precursors for the sugar production and the liver that we need. Also, for a long time, decades, we have known that we can use rumen-protected fat and fatty acids to deliver some energy in a safe form for the cow. And that will help a little bit with not having her have to break down so much fat of her own if she can use this fat through the diet. Now, on the management side, there are different things that we can use. Sometimes we can look at the dry period length. You know, are we having maybe a too long dry period? And is that making it harder for us to maintain body condition in our animals? As I mentioned in the beginning, we want to look at the body condition score at dry off. And there is opportunity in the herds to make sure that we have an adequate body condition score at dry off. We would like to dry off cows in the 3, 3.25, maybe 3.5 score area, but we don't want to dry them off overly fat. Also, we know that if we prevent diseases in these cows around the time of calving, that will make them be generally obviously more healthy, but also prevent them from stopping to eat. And if a cow stops eating, she will break down fat very, very fast in an excessive manner. And that also goes in the third bucket, which is optimizing feed intake. So we want to make sure that we do the best for our cows as far as access to high quality feed as many hours of the day as possible. 23 hours is our goal. So cows are only out of feed for a very short period of time when we're cleaning. We also want to make sure that there's heat abatement in the dry period because we know that cows eat better when they're not heat stressed. Cow comfort, so cows lay down and then they get up and they eat in their regular meals, they don't have any slug feeding where they eat too much at once and then lay down and don't want to get up again. And we also want to help this with adequate stocking density. So each cow has access to feed when she wants to eat. This is particularly important in the close-up period and in the fresh period. So all of these things will guarantee that there is good feed access of the cow to the bunk. And that will help with their time budget. And it will also limit the feed bunk competition that can be so detrimental to intakes of our cows. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Mann, this has been very informative. I, I thank you for your time. And listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today. And I hope that you've learned some about fat metabolism and how it impacts your herd. Hopefully you can better understand the, the biomechanics of what's happening to that cow that's rapidly losing condition. I've really enjoyed our conversation. There really is a sweet spot in my heart for research focused around that transition cow and the energy that it takes to support lactation. You've coalesced numerous papers all into one, and I thank you for your time summarizing all of these articles. This has been the February edition of Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. Monthly, we highlight peer-reviewed research articles and press, 
sound science to base your management decisions on provided by your University of Missouri Dairy Team. So please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future additions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.